gentlemen, please direct your attention to the center of the arena for our main event. In the red corner, representing an average size of 3.14 people, two barbecues a year, and a whole lot of awkward holiday moments, the heartbeat of us all, the family! And in the yellow corner, with a reach of approximately 2,000 years, a multi-war veteran representing the King of Kings and the undisputed champion of the universe, the light of the world, the church! Very good. Well, the church versus the family. Which is more important, the church or the family? I definitely say, being the representative for children, I think I'll take the approach of the family. Well, because I'm a pastor, obviously it has to be the church. Family. Church. Family. Church. Okay, I'll give you some statistics. All right, let's hear them. Families, we're averaging six to seven hours of internet, music, television, and other sources of media, and 37 seconds of conversations with their dad, not much more than that with their mother, so that is obviously a problem. We've got... um, Blended families, families that are trying to do their best. They've got multiple families to have to represent, and they're trying to manage their time effectively and well. Then we have the divorce that's affected our children and and the crisis that's going on there. And then some families who aren't even divorced, the mothers and fathers are still fighting like cats and dogs. They sleep in separate bedrooms. I mean, obviously, there is a cry out, a call. We have grandparents that are having to stand up. I read an article um, this past week. Someone was gracious enough to give it to me, and there's an overwhelming statistic. Thousands and thousands of grandparents are now having to step in to raise the children because their children, the parents of the grandchildren, aren't willing to do it anymore. They're just self-focused. They don't They don't have time. And so grandparents are having to fill that gap and fill that void. So I think, you know what? I don't have time for church, right? Because I've got my family to focus on. We don't have to have this building to be spiritual. We don't have to come and and do these things. It's taking time out of my family and out of the situations that are going on, these time management issues I'm already facing with the crisis. So I, I think the family is definitely the most important. Okay. I see that the church is the most important. We're obviously the light of the world. We represent it by yellow. We are the light of the world. I can just see it now. Our media guys need to get, get a hold of this. We are the light of the world, being this. If your kids are acting up, don't worry. We have a verse for you. Your teenagers are rebelling? Don't worry. Bring them to church. Everything will be okay. Your marriage is on the rocks? Come to church, and we'll make sure that you find the rock of all ages. We will make sure that you are taken care of. It's the church that will take care of you. We're the light of the world. Matter of fact, you don't have to worry about anything spiritual at all during the week. Really? Because we take care of it all. That's convenient. Matter of fact, parents, you don't even have to worry about teaching your kids the Bible. You don't know much about the Bible. Don't worry about it. You just let the scholars take care of it. That's why we went to school. You let us take care of it. You don't have to worry. Matter of fact, we prefer that you don't study during the week. It makes us look smarter. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. You know what? I think it's enough role playing. Okay. Let's do what we do best. 
And let's find out what the Bible says. Surely the Bible says something about which one is most important. The Bible does say quite a bit about these two institutions, the church and the family. For many years, the church and the family have collided. There's this argument, and maybe even in your own personal life, you probably feel the tension. Which is higher? Which is greater? Is it the church or is it the family? When I was a youth pastor, I was, it was my first year as a youth, in youth ministry. Jamie and I were um, in Missouri. And there, I was challenging the kids to read their Bible. Now, that sounds simple, doesn't it? And I was giving them this challenge. Let's read through the New Testament in one semester. And I had one of the dads, he was a deacon of the church, who was really fired up. He got mad. And I began to ask him questions. Why are you so upset? And he said, you, you are expecting too much out of my son. He is a junior in high school. He cannot be expected to read through the New Testament in one semester. That is just too much. He has sports. He has school. You're asking way too much. And I asked him, I said, sir, well, do you, do you read your Bible? He said, let me make it very clear to you, young man. The reason we pay your salary and the reason we pay you pastor's salary is because we are too busy during the week to read the Bible. We pay you to read the Bible, and that's your job. It's a true story. That's exactly what happened. So there is a dynamic that we want to talk about. Church, family, which is right? Which one is the higher priority? Does the Bible speak to it? I hope so. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where we're going to start today. It's, uh, we're going to talk about the two institutions, the church and also the family. We're going to start off with the family in Deuteronomy chapter 6. What you will discover is this. As we talk about this series and as we spend the next few weeks, we're going to discover that God created both the church and the family. The family was created at the, in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, you see that God created both Adam and Eve, and the family was started and institutionalized right there in the Garden. It was something that God created, saying that man should not be alone. He needed a helpmate. He brought Eve together. Later on, when they were out of the Garden, they also started having kids. It was God's idea to have a man and a woman and a family kids reproducing. Deuteronomy chapter 6, here's what we have. This is a very famous passage. Um, maybe some of you have heard the technical term. The Jewish people will call this the Shema. And this is a passage in which they repeat over and over again. They'll even put it on their doorposts. They do put it on, um, if you go to a, a traditional Jewish home, they might even have it on a bracelet. They might have it on a necklace. They bind it on different things that they, they're wearing. They put it on the doorpost of their home. They even touch it a lot of times as they go in and out of their homes. Deuteronomy 6. You have your Bibles. I'm going to ask that you stand for the reading of God's word. Here's what it says. Hear, O Israel. This is verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this opportunity to be able to look into your word once again. God, I pray that you would help us to be willing to hear what you have to say to us. 
God, I pray that you give us the courage to apply it to our lives. I pray that your spirit would have freedom today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. So let's start off with the family. Yes, well, you know, um, many of us, the ladies, we've been studying the tabernacle. So we've been in depth with Moses. But even if you haven't um, had the ability to do that, I'm sure you've heard the stories of Moses, but this is just a critical time. I mean, Moses and Israel have seen the ups and downs, haven't they? They saw, of course, the slavery in Egypt for years and years and years, uh, hundreds of years. And then they saw the parting of the Red Sea. They walked through on dry ground. Then they were hungry and manna arrived daily from God. They followed the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night. And they were complaining about the manna, so they got some quail. I mean, it just, God was so evident to them on a daily basis. One, they wouldn't have eaten or drank if he hadn't provided for them daily. So Israel was very aware of who God was and the power that he had and their need for him. But Moses is at this critical time where they're getting ready to head over into the promised land. They're gonna walk over there. And Moses gives this warning, kind of this call to the parents. And he says, listen up guys, we're getting ready to cross over into this promised land. And when you get over there, you're going to live in these homes that you didn't build with your two hands. And you're gonna drink, you and your children are gonna drink water from wells you didn't have to dig. Mm. You're going to have nice things and it's going to be a lot easier. So this is what, it is imperative. This is what you have to do. In the morning, you've gotta tell your kids about our God. And in the evening before they go to bed, you've got to call out his name. Because what's going to happen is these children who have not witnessed the things that we have witnessed in this past 40 years in this wilderness, they're not going to know the God that we know. And there's going to come a time where your children raise up and they question. And they say, why do we do this? What's this all about? We have everything we need. Why do we need this God that you're speaking of? And I just, I find it amazing that in America now, we were two generations removed from having Christian homes. We are only at 4% of our children now under the age of 18 profess that, that, that Jesus Christ is their savior. Wow. And it is just a crisis moment and it's exactly parallel and exactly what Moses was talking about so many years ago. You know, Moses is commanding. He said, this is what you're supposed to do. It's not given to the church. This command was given to the men and the women to make sure that they are teaching the next generation in the home as they wake up, this is who your God is. So it's not the church's responsibility, it's whose responsibility to teach the spiritual life? Parents. You know, our most faithful families, um, on average statistics, and I know we throw statistics out, but that's the best uh, data that we have, our most faithful families will attend church 40 weekends out of the year. Yeah, that's because of vacation. Sure. That's because of kids getting sick. Sure. You have different things that come up in your life. So 40 weeks a year is what the average, the best, some of the top families will actually attend church. And that seems legitimate. Right. When you, when you um, average everything into it. So I guarantee you, and being in the children's area, I guarantee you every time that your grandchildren or your children are here, we are providing our best. Our teachers are studied. They have amazing, engaging lessons. They are hands-on. They, they bring in things from the Bible that are real that the students can touch and see so they know that it's not just stories, that this is our actual history that we've, uh, that we've been studying. I uh, have sent emails that say, thank you to my history teachers because that is truly what they are. And we are geared up in our church to do our best for those 40 hours that we have them to uh, provide them biblical understanding. But statistics also tell us this. 
while we as the church get 40 hours, our families, our parents get 3,000. And you just cannot argue with the, with the amount of influence. Of course, our families and our parents have more influence over the children than the church ever will. I find it interesting that here's the stat that's telling us right now. One out of every five churches, one out of every five churches actually teach that it's the parent's role to be involved in the spiritual life of their kids. It's the parent's responsibility. One out of every five churches. Isn't that amazing? Because right here we have the direct command that it's the parent's, it's your job Grandparents, I know I'm, we're speaking to a, a generation that's saying, wait a minute, we're the grandparents. But many of you as grandparents are highly involved in your kids' life and in your grandchildren's lives. And it's your job to make sure that you're passing this on. The church, we're wanting to do everything we can. Mm-hmm. But 40 hours compared to 3,000 hours, you have the influence. And that 3,000 hours comes after School. Mm-hmm. It comes after those extra things that are happening. That's 3,000 hours that you get. That's the weekends. Now, let's, let's switch gears just a little bit. Now, let's talk about the church. Right. Let's talk a little bit about what the church is. In the New Testament, we find the church is actually called the what? Ecclesia. It's the called out assembly. It's the called out assembly of those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Being the called out assembly, we are called to come together to worship and praise God, and then we are called to do what? Go out. That's who we are. We come in, we are challenged, we are encouraged, we praise God together, and then we are to go out. Is the church a priority? Should the church be a priority? Is the church a priority to God? Let me draw your attention to Ephesians. What happens in Ephesians? Ephesians chapter two, you'll find that Jesus is the head the chief cornerstone of the church. You go to Ephesians chapter five and many times as we're talking about marriage relationships, it says that the man is to love his wife, how? As Christ loved the church. Not only did he love the church, he did what? He gave his life for the church. So Jesus not only loved the church, he gave his life for the church. We're also told in the New Testament that Jesus paid for the church with his own blood, is it a priority? Absolutely. I love this image of the, the bride. The church is the bride of Christ. We hear it in the New Testament. John even talks about it in Revelation that the church is the bride of Christ. Now, we got to see some fun things this last week. on uh, The royal wedding. Who saw? Did anybody see the royal wedding? Watch some of those things? Okay, okay. that's better. I thought, really, just two of you. That'd be sad. That would be crazy. <laughs> The royal wedding was something that we, everybody was anticipating. They were watching, they were looking, and the world was just kind of stopped and was on hold to see this royal wedding. They wanted to see not the queen and what she was wearing. They didn't want to see all the, the military men. What did they want to see? The bride, the dress, oh. really. The bride and what she had on and what she looked like and how her hair was fixed. Absolutely. So it's all about the bride. It was all about... What is she going to wear? What is she going to look like? How is she going to arrive? What's going to happen when she gets out? What are the next things? It was about the bride. Mm-hmm. And our, our kids, we got to watch it with our kids. It was so funny. They constantly were asking, Mommy, why did she stop and curtsy to the queen? Mommy, why did they stand outside the palace? Mommy, why were they in a carriage? And, the, and my answer was just 
repetitious, it was, well, that's their tradition. That's how they show honor. That's their tradition. That's what they do. And that's how they show honor. That's why she had the long sleeve dress. She didn't detour that. That was traditional. And they wanted to show honor and respect by that. Here's what's happened. For the last few generations, church has not been the primary focus as the bride of Christ. It's been been more about tradition. Mm -hmm. Why do you go to church? Tradition. Why do, we, why do we show up? Why do we take our kids? Tradition. I come, I do this because it's tradition. And over the last few generations, it's become more about tradition than actually being the bride of Christ. And as we've, we've, we've moved away and as we've said, oh, the church is not that important, here's what's happened. Parachurch organizations have started popping up all over. And why did they pop up? Around 40 years ago, 50 years ago, it's because the church wasn't actually doing everything it was called to do. So you have all these discipleship things start happening. Whenever, when it becomes about tradition, although it does show the honor and respect, much like the prince and the princess and the wedding, what we fail to see is the relationship. When we're doing things out of routine, when we're doing things out of tradition, just because we want to show honor and there is no relationship, then we're not tethered to anything. We're not anchored to anything. There's nothing to have a relationship. It's just traditional to go to the building to show your honor and how you respect. So to have a relationship is so key. And I think in those generations that we've lost, we failed to exemplify that. It demonstrates itself in that right now in America, in which we call ourselves a Christian nation, it's really a post-post-Christian nation. We've missed it by two generations now. When you understand that only 4% of those under the age of 18 know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, there's a major shift that has happened here in America. And it's because we have placed an emphasis more on tradition. Oh, it's just something we do. Well, it's just something we partly do. The next generation, what did they do? Well, you only have to go every so often because it's really not that important. You can actually start doing the spiritual things outside of the church. And what happens is as we've moved away from the church being a focal point, no longer is it a focal point in which we actually say we're coming together and we're the light, light of the world. You see, in Revelation, John tells us that in Revelation chapter 1, he talks about the seven lamps, that they're the light, the seven churches. They were the light to those different cities, to the different areas. And what we're called to do is as church, as a believer, we come together. And as we come together, you are the light, I'm a light. We all come together. And when we come together, it actually should ignite us, create a higher passion to say, we need to go out and do something for the cause of Christ. It is actually, it causes us to say, okay, I'm energized now. I came to church. Now we're to go out and be the church. That's kind of a catchphrase right now. Let's be the church. What are they actually saying? That the church is not just about tradition and setting in a room, that the church is about doing something so much more. That's right. When you think, how, when you have a fire and you throw, the more wood you throw on the fire, what happens to the fire? It grows, right? It grows, it ignites. And then, then when it goes off, so when we come to church and we're surrounded by believers after a week full of surrounded by darkness in some areas, some of you will have the, the privilege of working in Christian areas, but when you are in your workplace at the shop, shopping at the grocery mart, wherever you are, you are surrounded by people who do not know Christ. 
So where we get our, our source of strength from is not only the Bible, absolutely, but when we come together and can, and can encourage one another and encourage the next generation. I look at many of you, and I know you've either got children in here or there's children out there, and they're raising their babies, and you know how that is, and you know how important it is to have a, a strong prayer life. And when we come together and can encourage each other, encourage those young mamas, encourage those young daddies and all those um, around us, then when we go out during the week and we are in our business places, when we're at work, when we're in the shop, uh, at the market, wherever we are, we are strengthened and able to share our light and share our strength because of the strength of the church. We come back to the families now. So the question becomes, how do we mesh the two? If the families are really important, then does the church, should the church play a, a role in the families? Should the church actually be resourcing and helping? Absolutely. One of the reasons we're involved in smaller groups, one of the reasons we're involved in Sunday schools, one of the reasons that we're actually, we do home groups, is not just because it's another program, but it's so that we get the life on life so that we're actually encouraging at church to say, hey, I've been down the road with you. I've actually, I've seen how to parent. I've seen what it means to have a new kid. Let me just be able to share with you how we did it in our life. Here's what happened in our life. And now you actually get the life on life. You jumping in and helping with the children's ministry. Or maybe you're saying, I don't really like kids, so we don't want you over there. That's um, fair. That's fair. But maybe, maybe you do like kids and you say, hey, I want to just jump in and I want to share what's going on. You get to see young families coming in who are scared to death. Mm-hmm. They're carrying these little babies. I was talking with Ryan, our youth pastor, and... It has just blown his world having this little baby. He doesn't even know what to do with it. He's like, ah, and it it scares him and it bothers him. And you know what the church is? It's great when we actually move the church in Mm -hmm. and we actually start talking back and forth and we start putting a priority back on, hey, let me show you what the Bible says about being a parent. You know, I was talking with Monica um, yesterday and she said, this is, I've never been involved in a place. She said, I love being involved in church now. She said, because I see these babies grow, come in and they just grow up and I've never been a part of that. And there, those are the life experiences that these young people, and remember, these are young people that aren't taught God when they wake up in the morning and when they go to, be, to sleep at night. We're two generations removed. So what we may know as this generation is completely foreign to those that are younger and they are thirsty. They are thirsty for it. They want to know more. Here's, here's something just to kind of help why, why we set up and why I actually think through our messages in different ways. I try to move back and forth between kind of something like the Beatitudes where it's maybe going to sharpen some of our stronger Christians. And then we have to go back into other series that are going to be maybe which you might consider a little simpler. And here's why. Because the majority of people who are coming in through our church do not even have Jesus Christ as our foundation. I'm counseling four different people right now in my office during the weeks. And only, th- and out of those four, three of them do not even think that this Bible is actually the starting place. And they're people who are coming to our church. They don't, they, they're like, religion's okay, it's good. We have people who are coming through. And now we have this huge balance going back and forth. How do we actually minister to the mature Christians? And how do we minister to those who are baby Christians? The only way that we can do this is as a church, when mature Christians begin to take on the role and say, I want to make sure 
that I'm pouring in to the younger Christians. And it doesn't necessarily mean age, because we have people who are in their 50s who I would consider young Christians who just became Christians just the last few years. So it's not about an age, it's about where are they at in their spiritual life. It's really a call for us. I think Deuteronomy 6, we're going to be looking at this for the next few weeks. One of the things that we want to talk about and what we want to draw attention to is the high priority of how do we actually resource parents? How do we resource grandparents to actually talk about Jesus Christ as kids are getting up in the morning, as kids are going to bed at night, as we're going through the time period? What can you do as a parent, a grandparent to actually resource your kids to be better parents? Can you do anything about it? What can you do? How can you come along? How can you talk about Jesus Christ to your kids who are grown and out of the house? As the patriarchs of the homes, being grandparents, you still have a major role in the spiritual life of your kids. You can talk about it. You can bring it up. Not in a way in which you're taking the Bible and hitting them over the head. That would be bad. We don't want to do that. But we want to actually come alongside and say, hey, God is doing some great things in my life. And as you begin to share, and so over the next few weeks, here's what we want to do. We want to actually resource parents. We want to resource you. We want to resource grandparents so that you understand that we do not see the family and the church actually fighting, but we actually see the family and the church collaborating and working together. We want to see them actually doing more than what God's called us to do, or we want to see us actually living out what God's called us to do, and that's actually working together. That's right. It's time for us to rise up, church. We're called to duty at this time, and there is no age limit, because if we do not do something about it, when this generation is gone, this generation that has experienced the needs similar to Israel, we've gone through the depression, we've gone through very hard war, and again, we're still in war, but we've seen the need. And after these two generations that are below this area right here, they haven't seen those things. And it's going to be exactly what Moses predicted. They're raising up and they're questioning. And I love the National Day of Prayer video what if, what if we don't rise up? What if we just let it go and say, you know what? I, I paid my dues. I paid my traditions. I showed my honor and I'm done. Then the generations to come will not know the savior that we know. This generation right here in this room have actually heard of, been a part of revivals. You've seen it. You know what it means. When I say the word revival, you've seen things happen where God has just shown up and people come to know the Lord and you see a mass outbreak of just God doing great works. The generation that happens to be in the next service, many of them have never seen it. They never even heard of it. And when I say revival to them, they're thinking, oh, I have to come to church more often, what? They, they don't, it doesn't even compute in their minds. Every revival, whether you look in the Old Testament the New Testament, whether you look in the last few hundred years in this country or any country around the world, has all started when a group of people became so passionate about praying and seeking God to show up. You want to know, can you actually help make a difference in the next generation? I think it starts with prayer. It always starts with prayer. And this is my plea to you. As a church, 
and especially as the group that's really has held this church together. Mm-hmm. My plea to you is this. Would you begin praying with me that we would see God just break out and do something great? We need to see a revival. We need to see a revival in the church. We need to see a revival in the families. We need to stop competing and fighting against each other. And we need to see a revival break out. I am praying for over 100 people to accept Christ this year. It seems like a lot because last year we only had 54. But it's double. Well, he's why 100? Because here's the reality. It's going to take more than just one person going out and doing that. It's going to be a church-wide effort. It's going to be a church-wide effort of us seeking God to ask him to show up. It's going to require each one of us doing our part, becoming the light of the world. Each one of us doing something more. And I'm asking that you, as this group, your greatest legacy is still left to be written. We need to see God radically move in this church. And it's time. And it's going to come as we begin to ignite the families and ignite the church once again. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this opportunity.